This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And um, great to be together. A lot to cover today. And let us start with the beginning. I rise in praise of dictator Pelosi and her hold on the narrative machine. We're watching the destruction, the unethical, immoral destruction or attempted destruction of the greatest democratic republic we've ever had in history. And dictator Pelosi is using all the power of her office to uh, to try to destroy America, to tear us apart, to lie about what's gone on. And her power is so significant and it's being sort of greenlit by Biden and Schumer in such a way that everybody's fallen in line. Everybody's fallen in line. So that's what we'll get to again. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Please visit ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up for the daily email, what's called The Wink, The Daily Wink. What you need to know, what you need to know, The Daily Wink. Sign up at ProAmericaReport.com. And all my great interviews, uh, I've got some real winners this week. I pre-recorded a couple because I'll be traveling. I needed to get a couple folks. And you're going to want to really hear uh, one uh, or two of them. You go over to ProAmericaReport.com and follow them. Okay, so earlier on Tuesday... Uh, the select committee for looking into January 6th convened. It is a completely partisan hackathon, but because there are never Trumper, anti Trumper, nasty people, uh, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, who are nominally Republican, they are, they were put on the committee after the, uh, the ones that, um, uh, uh, minority leader McCarthy proposed to Nancy Pelosi, she rejected. But here's why I rise in tribute to dictator Pelosi, because she has created in late July of 2021, she's created an engine for the narrative machine to run for the next six months. And it will go through everybody's sock drawer. And anyone who is a willing participant will say whatever is needed to be said. At the opening, there were law officers who said this was a white supremacy attack. How they know this, we don't know, but nobody asks them. The soundbite will be played all over America and all over the world. Think about what's happening right now. We have Nancy Pelosi, dictator Pelosi, who has set up this committee. She is being aided and abetted by big media. She's being aided and abetted by big tech. Everyone is falling in line. She's big government. Remember the narrative narrative machine, remember, is big tech changes your brain. Big media brainwashes you. So one is using neuroscience, that's big tech. One is using brainwashing techniques, uh, 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 easily recognizable from the CIA and NSA uh, uh, leaders who are now on their on their um, uh, shows, Brennan, Clapper, etc. But big government is key. Because as I told you the other day, last week or 10 days ago, when there was a public hearing of the state senator in Arizona and she sat in her seat and she had a hearing, she gave the proper seriousness to her argument that included witnesses, included a conversation and questions that should have been sufficient. I mentioned at the time in the normal world that is covered as news and the media then races to cover it, except They will not cover the big lie. The 2020 election was free and fair. They won't cover that. They have to hide from that because they didn't do their job. In this case, Pelosi is doing something similar. She's having a quasi-official proceeding 
with members sitting at the at the uh, at their at their seats in you know above the witness tables and witnesses called and now the media is playing along and so the narrative machine is in overdrive that January sixth was an armed insurrection meant to take over the government except no one was armed. There was no insurrection. In fact, even someone pointed out earlier today, CNN has stopped using the word insurrection. They know it wasn't an insurrection. And it was, no one was, it wasn't murderous. It wasn't even, it was, aspects of it were violent. I think there was probably uh, at least trespass and maybe even some vandalism. But it appears that there were lots of people on the side of law enforcement that either were inept or maybe they were overwhelmed by the size of the crowd or maybe... According to one of the retired, now retired Capitol Police leaders, that Pelosi and the gang weren't ready. They'd been warned. They said, this is too big a crowd. We ought to do something different. They didn't do it. I'm not willing to say yet it was a quote unquote false flag. I don't see that. But we're not going to get to the bottom of it when during the whole testimony to, uh, on Tuesday, there was all this conversation about all this stuff, except nobody commented on the woman that was murdered. Excuse me, let me say that better. There was a woman killed. I shouldn't say she was murdered. We don't know. Her name is Ashley Babbitt. We don't know enough about what happened, but she was killed by a shot from a law enforcement officer. Now, in another context, say the streets of Minnesota, the streets of Ferguson, Missouri, uh, excuse me, the streets of um, uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, the streets of uh, uh, Ferguson, Missouri, the, the streets of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, pick a city where if a cop shot and killed someone there'd be a little more investigation than we're seeing now. But again, be that as it may, I, I rise in uh, in recognition of Speaker Pelosi's incredible, absolutely unethical, immoral, destructive, but very, very impressive use of her dictatorial office and the pathetic media, big media, and pathetic big tech to absolutely positively drive an agenda. And the agenda will be, for six months, it will be, it will be aimed at two things. One is absolutely frothing up the base of the, of the, uh, of the Democrat party, frothing them beyond belief. Absolutely. The end of the world is that as Liz Cheney tells you that Kevin McCarthy's terrible, that all that's happening is Pelosi is using all of the technology, big tech, big media, and she is using big government to drive her people. That's one thing. Drive them into a frenzy, cash, donations. She's also going to use these faces, Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell. I think it's Jamie, Jeremy Raskin or Jamie Raskin, not, not Falwell. Not Falwell, not Swalwell, Eric Swalwell. Um, but here's the other thing she's doing. She is trying to get America to believe about January 6th and to believe more about it. She's aiming at the, the middle of the country and trying to get them to think more about all these terrifying things she's going to have described that aren't true or if they're true, they're out of context. And here's why. She still knows the big lie is the 2020 election, that it was free and fair, that there was no interference, that it, the, the, uh, the 2020 election, people already admitted, Democrats admitted that they, quote, fortified the election. We don't know if that means they falsified the election yet, but we can't look at that. And what Pelosi's doing is building a bulwark, building a wall, if you can believe it, against the people that are at, that are in, in the position of, of go, looking backwards at 2020. That's part of the dynamic. That's what she knows, because he or she who writes the history, who defines the heck out of this, is going to be the ones who is uh, the ones that are able to frame what's going on. And that's exactly what's happening. So, I, again, I have to say, in praise of dictator Pelosi, 
the immoral, unethical destroyer of the American Republic, but very, very impressive. As she's doing this, she's getting Republicans in office to run in circles saying things like, we always support the Capitol Police. We all, nobody said that we didn't, by the way, but they're going to run and say, it. oh, we, we always do. We always will. We always, let's give them more money. Let's give them billions of dollars. That's what's going on. There's billions of dollars that are going to go to the Capitol Police. And Nancy Pelosi is in charge of the Capitol Police because she's a dictator of the House. She's not Speaker of the House. She's Dictator of the House. And the Capitol Police are opening up branch offices, wait for it, in Florida and in, I think, California, maybe. I don't know where it's other places. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to join in the effort to try to make sure that we can target all the people that ever were thinking that the, the January 6th was okay. Because even if you think it was okay, you're out of line. That's the point. That's what they're doing. That's the dynamic that they're trying to foster. And I, and I have to say, I wouldn't bet against Pelosi right now because she's got all the pieces together. And on our side, meaning conservative side, meaning we the people's side, most of the time we're tweeting into the darkness. We're tweeting out into the, you know, or we're Facebooking or we're talking about it. It's very tough. You got to keep fighting. You know, one of the great tragedies of this time is that Rush Limbaugh's voice is gone. He used to galvanize a lot of people to hear what was seeing through things. I think he would have said right off the bat, he would have said, look at the, look at Pelosi. She's a gamer. This woman's a gamer. She's a terrible, terrible human being. History will write the villainry of her. I mean, she, she's her and her husband have made millions, tens of hundreds of millions of over a hundred million dollars in net worth. But you have to rise and again, praise of dictator Pelosi. And you better understand you have to fight the narrative machine every day, all the time. And you do it through this program. You do it through the other program, programming on the answer uh, and the Salem Radio Network, uh, wherever you can find it. You got to fight back. All right. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Our next guest is an old friend of mine, Daphne Barak, has been on the show before. She is herself a filmmaker. She's a television producer. She is an author. Uh, she's done a bunch of stuff. But the um, And she supported President Donald Trump in 2016 and 2020. Her new book is out, and it's called Struggling for One America, Trump versus Hollywood, The Two White Houses. And in particular, let me make sure to say it is um, a um, Skyhorse Publishing, and you can find it anywhere you find books. Well, welcome, Daphne. How are you? I'm very well, and I'm here with my other half, Bill Ganassi, who is also the author of the book, and we are both very happy to, to be with you, Ed. You're always, like, so much well, fun to talk to. <laughs> well, thank you. First of all, has Hollywood, you know, Trump is no longer president. Does that mean that Hollywood is relaxed again, that they can stop? They were warring with him for four years. Have they are they sort of gloating about it now? Or what, what's the what is the feeling in Hollywood? And nothing changed. I mean, I think as, as Bill basically put it, it's, we, we have definitely two different uh, Americas, you know, really divided. And what uh what people who read the book, and I know you got it. And by the way, Bill and I have a surprise for your audience. We're going to mail you two copies of signed books that you'll decide which one oh. of your listeners you're going to give great. it to, right? Thank uh, you. Yeah, so, thank you. That's great. And so, Ed, what, what uh, Bill and I uh, feel, and we are in Hollywood right now, um, basically that nothing has changed. I mean, the half of the countries look at... Uh, uh, at, at Trump is still the president, and looking at Mar-a-Lago or 
Bedouin stare at the White House, half of the country mm-hmm. looks at Biden as a president and condemn Trump for uh, for not a, a, a consenting. And mm-hmm. but the book, uh, if you got it, as you see, it's a beautiful 20 photos. It's a good feel. And Bill and I really believe that, yes, we can. Yes, we can become one America. We just have to start talking. And before Mm I ask Bill for his input, I want to tell you, if you look at the cover of the book, there are four wonderful people who are recommending it, besides the 24 fantastic artists like, you know, like Ted Nugent and Scott Bio and uh, Eric Mm -hmm. B. and Too Short and uh, Kevin Sorbo and Dean Cain and Christy Swanson. Everybody's in the book, but there are four extra people. One is uh, Rita Cosby, a great radio host like yourself. The other one is Congressman Daryl Issa. The third one is our friend Mm -hmm. Suzanne Bauer. But the fourth one is why I'm telling you. It's uh, one of the biggest Latino singers today, one of the 100 people of Time magazine for 2020. Uh, He has 48 million followers on Instagram, Jay Balvin. Jay hates Donald Trump. He's the one that when Donald decided to announce that he was running for president on June 2015, um, Jay Balvin uh, canceled very, very loudly his performance on Miss Universe, which was owned by Trump at that point. And and he was offended personally. So Jay Balvin exchanged texts with Bill and I said, I hate Donald Trump, whatever. However, even he recognized what Bill and I uh, have been doing since COVID and since the George Floyd uh, tragedy, is really trying to bring all sides together. And even he, as you see, says on the cover of Struggling for One America, Trump versus Hollywood, the two White Houses, he says it's a very important project, Daphne and Bill. I'm really, really happy that you're doing it. Right, Bill? Yes. How are Mm -hmm. you, Ed? I'm doing great, Bill. And and tell me, Bill, before I, I don't want to slide off this, there's a documentary coming too, right? When will that be out? The documentary is already out on Vimeo. Oh. So just go to www.fightingfor, the number four, one America, www.fightingfor, one America. But of course, right now, when COVID hopefully is, is uh, being, uh, I hope we're going to win against COVID, of course, it will resume its uh, pre-planned uh, theater distribution. So I'm thinking probably around the fall. But meanwhile, uh, we have a lot of uh, viewers on www.fighting4, the number four, One America, which is Vimeo, and great responses. And as you saw, uh, Ed, talking about One America, we had the biggest article, very, very flattering article, with what we call traditionally left-wing media, uh, Hollywood Reporter, Yahoo, LA Times, they were all uh, praising us for filming during COVID and giving 50 much-needed jobs. And giving people, you know, the, the confidence that uh, Hollywood is not over because of COVID. And also for bringing both, you know, African-American famous rappers like Too Short or Eric B or, or Money B or Big Baby, the basketball players, with um, Ted Nugent and uh, Claude Bio and Kevin Sorbo and Dean Kane and, uh, and Kid Rock and others. So... Um, uh, that uh, it, it just shows that whoever reads the book, and I hope uh, you you agree with me that yeah. there is so, sort of okay, we are divided, but it's not a lost battle. We can still become one America. We just have to put our heads into it. But the book is also yeah. a very nice coffee table because there are 
lots of photos, as you know, uh, publishers don't like to put uh, photos yeah. of political yeah. books because yeah. it's too costly. Like, usually, if you see right. Melania and I gossiping in Mar-a-Lago and Donald and I having fun <laughs> after years, another golf, uh, you know, round, and the Ted Nugent and his wife, beautiful wife, Shemaine, Bill and I, having fun in his very colorful home, which is full of dead animals, right, NRA. <laughs> uh, so, right. I mean, it's really something you want to put on your coffee table. And there is a big revelation that uh, was not in the film, that after we finished filming, Bill and I went to see Trump at the White House. And Jai mm-hmm. Kushner invited us. We have been good friends. And um, initiated that Trump will talk to the African-American prominent um, rappers and, and basketball players and comedians in the film. They did not believe that they would agree to do that. They, Money B asked me in the film, are you crazy? You want me to talk to Donald Trump? Too short. Said to me, look what happened to my friend Ice Cube. Why would I do that? You know, and he just talked to Jared Kushner. But I did convince four of them to be on the phone with uh, then-President Trump. He called me on Saturday night, November 1st, you know, less than 48 hours before the election. He was exhausted, Mm -hmm. Ed, from four rallies. Could you imagine? I would be exhausted after one. And um, he really listened. I mean, the conversation wasn't kumbaya. They were complaining. He listened. He flattered. They, They opened the dialogue. And Trump actually invited them to the White House, to the Christmas party. He was under the impression he was winning. As you know, November 3rd came with different uh, outcomes. But Jared Kushner and Bill and I uh, insisted that Trump should really keep his promise. If not for for now, for building a bridge for 2024 and our midterm election 2022. And he did. He did. As much as he was distracted with all the other legal lawsuits and everything he did, um, we took is a very hilarious photos in, in the book, Struggling for One America, Trump versus Hollywood, of uh, rapper Money B, like in the middle of the top Trump world, hugging Mark Meadows, the chief of staff of the White House, uh, hugging uh, the governor of uh, Texas, the Abbott, uh, you know, uh, bonding with Mark Short, the chief of staff of Spence, in the middle of Christmas trees, and he was Instagramming live from the White House. Here is money piece <laughs> from Trump White House. <laughs> it was very funny. That's funny. So, having, so, yeah, um, exactly. so, so uh, we're talking with, again. We're talking with Daphne Barak and uh, Bill Granasti, and the book is called "Struggling for One America: Trump versus Hollywood: The Two White Houses." I couldn't help but notice, though, one of the uh, one of the names in here talked about, and also in the back is Roseanne Barr. And some people get canceled, and it's almost like they can never recover. How do you get back to one America? A lot of people have been hurt by the left and by the cancel culture it's and even trump you know over the weekend and when i guess when he was in arizona recently he said you know um i feel like i won and i can't you know you can't go um you can't put that away i mean how does someone like roseanne ever feel like one america can work roseanne i have to say she's very close to bill and i and she doesn't feel well um she feel um she's in hawaii she never recovered she came she went to Hawaii and with her family. Um, she she still, you know, if you just mentioned to her ABC, which funny enough, I have a big deal uh, coming with ABC, and she was very generous. Say, okay, you signed with them, but you know, as she still feels very bitter, and she feels that people like Deborah Massey, Massey, you remember 
tweeted against. Uh, yeah, right. Whoever, yep, yep. whoever goes to, to a Trump fundraiser should be blacklisted. She feels, how come NBC never did anything against her? And, you know, it's only Rosanne. And um, it's, it's, a, it's bad because, yeah, she, she's one of the most talented uh, comedians. And don't forget, when she came back, the show made millions and millions of viewers uh, to ABC. It was such a hit, and then she was canceled. So um, right. it's not it's not a good feeling. And if you see Daryl Issa, the congressman, actually uh, on the back cover of the book, actually does talk about cancel culture, and it's something that we have to we have to decide that we. Uh, have to remember that our First Amendment, not Second, not Third, not Fourth, the First Amendment, is freedom of speech. And and they, even if somebody sends a crazy Twitter, it's not a reason to be canceled for the rest of her life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's exactly right. All right. Uh, Daphne Barak and uh, Bill Ganasti, the book, again, Struggling for One America. I'm sorry, we're out of time. We'll have you back on again, though. And you said you're going to send two signed copies of the book, which I'll give away to our listeners. Uh, thank you, as always. And uh, let's, let's talk again very soon. Absolutely. You, absolutely. Always a pleasure. Thank, thank you both very much. We'll take a break, everybody, and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report, but it's time. That's right. It's time to check in with Dr. Brett M. Decker. Dr. Decker, the Indiana Jones of America these days since Indiana Jones died tragically. I don't know if he died. I think they're doing like a nine, Indiana Jones 5 or something with an 82-year-old They uh, are indeed. Harrison I have to Ford. chime Maybe. in there. Harrison Ford is still Are kicking. they doing that? Yeah, so maybe the next one you can step in because uh, we have Dr. Brett M. Decker, New York Times bestselling author, author of many books, um, including one of my favorites, When Insomnia Hits, about the Speaker of the House in the Philippine uh, legislature. And he also has been a journalist on the Wall Street Journal team in Hong Kong, uh, editorial page editor at the Washington Times, currently on the board of advisors and, dra- and writes op-eds for the USA Today and a professor at the Defiance College in Ohio. Welcome back, Dr. Decker. How are you? Well, not too bad. Big heat wave in the Midwest, almost 100 degrees. It's, so it's uh, it's hot everywhere. It seems. I meant to clarify for our folks. He is now a uh, holds a certificate from Oxford University in archaeology and has dug his way across Europe a number of times. Dr. Decker, Dr. Decker, I want to ask you, earlier in the program, um, I spoke about the power of uh, the media, the narrative machine. In a few moments in my closing, I'm going to highlight um, the power of the European media. So I always say the narrative machine here is big tech, big media, and big government. You can see the January 6th deal where the big tech shuts down Trump and everybody else. Big media says it was an insurrection. Then big government arrests everybody for what looks like perhaps uh, trespass, maybe vandalism. In Europe, the example I was going to give is uh, Viktor Orban and his nation has said we're not going to allow certain LGBTQ teachings for kids 16 and under. Seems like something a nation can do. And they're getting banged away on by the EU, the the European Union Court of Justice, one of the European Union um, funding mechanisms that gives money for COVID relief is holding back money. Uh, you know what? What? And and the media in Europe is making it sound like uh, Orban is returning to the you know the uh, early part of the first millennium. You know, talk about how the the narrative machine works in the rest of the world, especially where there's these multinational uh, agreements or, or entities like the EU. Well, I think what you see is you have sort of this 
authoritarian impulse rising at the same time all over the world, right? So as, as you have the media um, and the government and, 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 and the schools and everything lockstep in this country, same thing in Europe, and it's always against the will of the people, right? And you see, I mean, the same thing is, is happening. You see that in the Vatican, right? Pope Francis, despite how wildly popular the Latin mass is, and it being really the center of growth right now, right? The, the post-Vatican II uh, church is dying off, but all these Latin mass parishes have young families, lots of kids actually believe in the teachings of the church, and then he comes and smacks it down despite it being popular. So that's, it's really the same impulse as you're seeing here and in Europe, and it's kind of the, it's kind of the reverse mirror opposite of what you had um, in, the, in the early 80s when you had Thatcher, Reagan, and John Paul II all fighting communism. Unfortunately, in those same places, Europe, America, the Catholic Church, you have, you, you have this kind of violent swing back where all those institutions that were fighting communism are now kind of embracing this new co-apparent statement. It's super um, dangerous when well, you have... But it's even... It's it's even funny. It's even stranger because you said it. You said authoritarian, the, and it's done all the time. The left likes to call someone else th- what they're doing. So they say, "Oh, you know, Viktor Orban and the Hungarian majority—they're authoritarian." Wait a second. You're the ones in Brussels that are basically saying a conglomerate of people from. 25 nations are going to presume to tell the Hungarian nation what to do. And, you know, and, and same thing with, um, you know, somehow in the salons of Washington and in New York, the media and, and well, I guess in Silicon Valley and tech are going to tell the rest of the country what they have to believe. It's, it's, um, you know, it, it, it's it's the the criticism a lot of people from Phyllis Schlafly to many others were leveling against the globalists. They're they're actually intolerant. And I guess the question is, what's the history of this? I mean, you know, they they haven't succeeded. The Soviets obviously didn't succeed. That was one effort to sort of have a world domination. The Chinese are sort of succeeding, at least in, in certain ways. But these multinational organizations and entities, they seem to be picking up steam. Yeah, and, and you know, in, in Europe, it's particularly dangerous because the EU got they learned a lesson from Brexit, and their lesson right. from Brexit is like, you know, you don't want to give any leeway at all, right? There's there's give no quarter if people are fighting back against the EU, and if they're pushing back against European regulations, hit them really hard, and that's what Hungary is going to be facing coming up because, right? And if you look at Brexit, how how what really ticked off the English when, like, the EU said you can't sell beer and pints in pubs anymore, and the English are like, oh, you might as well just outlaw the English language, you know? So (laughs) when it it gets down to everyday life, people like, really? Is this really really what we want out of a government, whatever kind of government it is? You know, I think you see it in this country, right? Thousands and thousands and thousands of businesses, people's entire lives have been uh, crushed, during all this COVID stuff, and this story hasn't been told yet, but this ruined lives and sad stories behind every one of these thousands, tens of thousands of businesses that went under. And it's for what? The government really hasn't proven actions have taken uh, were, were necessary or successful, which isn't saying COVID isn't serious, but were the actions taken the correct ones or, or did they help? And we have no idea how to know that other than the economy's in shambles and getting worse. And, and there are no consequences to these super states, right? They do whatever they want, make right. them mess up. 
and and there's no accountability, and and that's a very precarious position for really the whole world to be in. Well, and we're, again, we're talking with Dr. Brett M. Decker, New York Times bestselling author and uh, commentator and professor now. Um, yeah, I, I guess I want to go back to um, Orban because he might have sidestepped it in the best way that sort of freezes him. But but I do want to, uh, for, for one second, comment on, on what you're saying. I mean, you know, um, the COVID thing was an excuse for a lot. And, you know, some of it, whatever, nobody knew better. They were guessing and they had it. But the question is what whether the sort of muscles of, of government are being used to, to you know, the double. The World Health Organization says we want to get to the bottom of the Wuhan lab. China says we don't care and nothing's going to happen. Now, back to Orban for a second and, and Hungary. His response, which I think was a pretty good one, was to say, um, you don't like it. I'm going to do a, a five question national uh, referendum. We're going to go to the people and let them vote on it, because what I'm saying to you is this is what our people want. Don't tell us what you want. Right. I mean, why? Why should it? It sounds like a it sounds like a critique of Washington, D.C., but because it, we used to this is what we would say about Washington, D.C is, you know, why should um, one set of elites in a far off capital decide for the whole country what they're going to do, which is a problem of centralized, you know, D.C. bureaucracy. In this case, Orban and Hungary are saying, why should a far off capital tell our people what to do? And and I guess the point here is how 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 likely is it that some more nations decide they can't stomach the eu is it possible or is it that the smaller countries are sort of stuck dealing with the market i mean great britain could pull away because they had a big enough market is that the problem for hungary and poland and some of the others well and like everywhere decisions are made in 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 sort of corrupt ways right so a lot of times opposition can be bought out and i I think the challenge Mm -hmm. that hungary is going to be facing is you know our memory is short here because we don't have a very long history memories are a lot longer in Europe, a lot of Europeans know instinctively, you know, the Austro-Hungarian dynasty was very important to Europe for centuries and centuries and centuries. And Hungary has kind of been slumbering since the communist period. But, you know, Hungary has has the possibility to have an outsized influence because it once was very influential in Europe. And for that reason, European bureaucrats are not want to get or not going to want, they're going to they're going to fight this hard because they know what you don't want is someone becoming, if you're the last, you don't want someone becoming a beacon, kind of starting a, a pushback across the continent. And Hungary is one of those places like Czechoslovakia, like the Czech Republic, right? Czech has a very right. outsized influence. They, what they don't want right. is the dominoes to start falling against this, uh, this awful state that they've been trying to create over the last few decades. Uh, one last question with Dr. Decker, uh, also, of course, uh, teaches business and e- economics. The economy, we, it's gone kind of quiet. We haven't heard much about it. it obviously, there's some um, indication of increases in the cost of things. Prices are up. I'm not sure that yet says it's inflation. What's your read on where we are in the economy? I, I mean, I think everything's really um, unemployment's going up and empty the number of job vacancies is going up. It's a, the craziest situation that you've ever seen, right? It's like when you have um, stagnation and inflation at the same time. Like, we have tons of unemployment and tons of open jobs. Like, it makes zero sense. Mm. And that's, it just shows how chaotic the situation is. And it's only going to get worse. And we're, we're definitely looking at inflation, uh, probably serious inflation for the long term, just because we're spending ourselves into oblivion. And uh, the only way to, really get out of that is inflating the currency so you can pay off your debt and 
uh, currency that in dollars it's less valuable, right? And it's a terrible way to do it, but it's what happens, and it's bad for everybody because it wipes out your savings accounts, right? Yeah. All right. Well, Dr. Brett M. Decker, I didn't mean to finish on a gloomy note, but thank you as always for your time, and we'll look forward to checking in with you again next week. Uh, yeah, you know, 33 days until college football, and then I don't pay attention to the news anymore, so we'll have to do maybe sports specials <laughs> every go. week we'll or have something. To get to, yeah, <laughs> we'll get updates on, uh, on, on uh, yeah, college football. All right. Thank you, Dr. Decker. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com. Check out all these interviews and sign up for the daily email. We'll be right back. Ed Martin, Pro-America Report, back in a minute. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Democrats act like election integrity is a Republican plot to put black people back in chains, as Joe Biden so offensively put it. The Washington Post renamed election integrity bills and called them Republican-led voting restrictions to make them sound more scary to the uninformed voter. Stacey Abrams is fundraising off the phrase Jim Crow 2.0 in reference to Republican efforts to secure the elections. These kinds of talking points would make anyone justifiably frightened about being disenfranchised. Sadly, few people look beyond the talking points to consider exactly what election integrity measures are being called for. Senator Kamala Harris said in 2019 that voter suppression directly caused Democrats to lose the governorships of Georgia and Florida in 2018. Yet Census Bureau data shows that a record-shattering 27% more black Americans and 50% more Hispanic Americans voted in those 2018 midterms as compared to the 2014 midterms. So where's the suppression? When Democrats blame their losses on voter suppression, they obviously are not relying on hard data. Instead, they rely on unquantifiable anecdotes with no basis in reality. One would think that if Democrats did not have to be constrained by the facts they could at least come up with a good lie. Pathetically, they can't even manage to do this. At the core of their argument is the belief that minorities are too lazy or incompetent to get a photo ID to vote. Calling minorities ignorant doesn't sound like a winning message in 2021, but that's exactly what Democrats do every time they call voter ID laws suppression. Americans are far behind the rest of the developed world when it comes to election integrity. Out of a survey of 47 European nations, Only the United Kingdom does not require photo voter IDs nationwide, though the UK is on track to join the rest later this year. Clearly, if ID voter suppression is real, it must be a uniquely American problem. It's high time for Americans to leave behind racist Democrats who think minorities are too ignorant to get a photo ID. Real election integrity laws are beneficial to citizens of all skin tones. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. It's no secret that globalists are bent on destroying Western culture. Whether the threat comes from inside or outside our borders, America must be protected from cultural Marxism and those who would deny American sovereignty. We're seeking your insight at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. And join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Uh, so, you know, what we uh, have now, and I got a text about this from one of the listeners. If you go over to ProAmericaReport.com, you can sign up there for the daily email, but also email me uh, through the uh, website there, or you can text me directly, 314-256-1776, 314-256-1776. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Um one of the texts, it was a text from a listener um, from many months ago. He texted me. He, he texted me first months ago. We got into an exchange and he just texted me the other day and said, um, watch, he said, Republicans will cave on the spending bill. And I wanted to come to that. This is Dave. David, I guess is his full name. David uh, from the San Diego area. He texted me that. And here's what I want to report. You're not seeing the coverage of it right now. You have to kind of go searching for it. Uh, but all of the infrastructure discussions have stalled, right? That was supposed to be this great bipartisan thing. It's stalled. And the next thing you need to know is that the uh, the White House is actively chasing uh, meetings with uh, Senator Kristen Cinema of Arizona, who is kind of a moderate on both the filibuster as well as uh, on spending. And um, uh, Governor, uh, excuse me, former governor, he's now Senator uh, Manchin of West Virginia, because they're trying to see if they can jam through this big, massive $3.5 trillion spending. Here's what I think David meant. At a certain point, a bunch of the Republicans that are sort of in the uh, system, you can call them swamp monsters if you want, but they just know the system. When they see it's going to go, they'll find a way to, to, to sign on for some of the money and some of the, the action. That's what you expect to see. Now, I do want to point out, I have a feeling that when the history of this time is written, that Mitch McConnell will get credit for holding his team together. Because if you think about it, they really haven't allowed much to happen, not much big. And I believe that's intentional. I believe that he knows, he can see that anything that is done, uh, Mitch McConnell now, that is done by the Democrats, they're going to get blamed for. You know, you don't have to go far to search to find the Democrat former Treasury Secretary and economist Larry Summers, who is saying inflation is coming as soon as next year. It's going to be really bad. And you just have to look around and you're starting to see people that say, hey, all other things being equal, we are not going. It's not going well. And what you the last thing you want to do is sign on if you're Republicans to voting for something like an infrastructure deal that you can point to and say, look, I did something good when everything's going south. So I think what you're seeing is uh, Mitch McConnell holding his team together now. So I'm, I'm going back and forth a little bit, David, on your point. I do think that at a certain point, Republicans, some of them will want to cut a deal. I'm just not sure they can get away with it. In this environment, I'm not sure that anybody can get away with working with the Democrats politically, whatever you think of it. You know, and again, the, the, the infrastructure deal is full of lots of stuff that's not infrastructure that has to do with helping uh, special interest groups. The, the uh, $3.5 trillion massive spending thing is absolutely filled with all sorts of things. And, you know, we saw earlier on Tuesday, and I'm going to talk about, I'm going to talk about this tomorrow. Uh, the CDC is moving as you'd expect them to do, towards the liberal position, which is more masks, more mask mandates, masks on kids in schools. That's where it's headed. And, you know, again, at this point, the American people don't really trust the experts, don't really trust these people in power. Uh, I don't think at all. But the fact is, what's going to happen if the CDC follows through on what is so far being leaked that they're going to put mask mandates on schools, on kids in schools and teachers in schools? What's going to happen? What's going to happen when they and some of they saying hotspots, they're using the Delta variant as a hotspot. They're going to say more masks, more requirements. I think the American people are fed up. 
beyond anything, and I don't think they're going to take this anymore. But back to my point, the infrastructure deal, the spending deal, the big spending deals appear to be stalled at least as to bipartisan participation, which is an indication that it's so politically uh, perilous that they're running for the hills. Of course, we have to be careful as if there is a 2022 election that is free and fair, you know, we, whether we're going to get reforms in our election system so that it's uh, everybody can feel comfortable, want to vote and think their vote counts. That's a lot of work between now and a year and I guess 15 months from now. So we'll see about that. All right. We're going to have to go, everybody. Thank you, as always. Hey, some great. We had some great speakers, some Daphne Barak and her, and her um, partner, uh, Bill uh, Gunasty. Uh, I'll put that up over on the social media and also on our web- website, Pro America Report. You can listen to that interview. Very interesting. We'll take a break. I'm just going to take a break. We'll take a break overnight. Be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then. America Report on The Answer, San Diego.